This is Nerd Podcast Radio, brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. Check out and support us on Patreon for tons of content, including a bonus episode for each episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, the best way to do that is our Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page, where we share all sorts of nerdy stuff. You can also find us on Instagram, at Nerd Podcast Radio, and on Twitter, at Nerdcast Radio. Don't forget to review us on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Reviews are important as they help our podcast grow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio, your nerd home away from home. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio. I'm your host today, Super Vegan Brian, and I'm joined by Curtis Marfarka. Hola. David, the Oh, it's my turn. Up all the third. Damn it. Hi, everybody. And we're sorry, but your Mario is in another castle. Brent Bowser. Why, hello, everyone. Brent. Yes. I couldn't possibly sum up everything that is you this morning. So for listeners that may not be familiar with who you are, please give a short introduction. Uh, well, I am former stand-up comedian Vincent Holiday, current stand-up comedian Brent Bowser. I am the uh, Great Lakes Regional Venture Coordinator for Paizo Organized Play. Uh, I am a single father of two cats, uh, a handgun, and a lot of Oxycontin, so I'm like a Tiger King over here as well. <laughs> That's just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's the bullet points. Uh, so if there are any, um, you know, any uh, any straight men that are most definitely uh, straight, uh, I am opening up my harem for you. Uh, please apply after the show. There'll be uh, links in the comments below. I want to see that anime. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here this morning. Um, we pulled upon Brent because our topic today is comedy and film. We originally set the topic to comedy and film and TV. So we're, we're happy to talk about TV too. I just thought that might be too much for one episode. I was talking to Brent about it this morning and I said, comedy, film, and TV. But if you talk about TV, you start talking about sitcoms and Brent goes, well, didn't you do sitcoms in episode 154? And I'm like, you did your research this morning. <laughs> it's actually 158. <laughs> Yeah, I think he knows it better than I do. Holy yeah. Shit. <laughs> so um, we're we're going to be talking about that, but first. But first, we're going to play everybody's favorite game, What's Nerdy With You, where we all talk about the nerdiest thing we've done in the last two weeks and vote using the patented Mike Myler widget system. I have an idea. Instead what? of doing the nerdiest thing we did, why don't we do the nerdiest Christmas present we got? But I only got one Christmas present. That's not fair. Well, you can do the nerdiest Christmas present you gave. Oh. At a, Brent, where did you, you, you can roll in on this. David is like being silent. David, do you like this idea? I mean, sure. 
it works, I guess. I mean, I, I don't have any contenders, but yeah, let's yeah, go. I got a couple nerdy. No, that's and, right. Okay. Yeah. And you can you can always you can always forget what I said and just share. How about nerdiest thing you did or nerdiest Christmas present? Sure. Yeah. Sure. We'll go with that. Is this so, fair, Brent? Did you have Christmas with other people? Um, not really. We uh, I did uh, I did all my Christmas shopping very early. Uh, some folks I mailed directly to other folks. I did uh, like a little Santa run where I just dropped everything off on their their porch. Okay. Well, you know, you you can set the tone because as our guest, you get to go first. So what was nerdy with you, Brent? Uh, so between I think the nerdiest gift that I received was um, a, a T-shirt that says HP uh, Livecraft, HP Laughcraft, HP Lovecraft. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Uh, the nerdiest <laughs> thing I did was live streamed a stand-up comedy show uh, as a fundraiser for Wiley's Comedy Club in Dayton, Ohio. Um, I mean, their story's not unique uh, because, it, unfortunately, a lot of people are facing it right now. Uh, they've complied you know, with all the public health guidelines. They have masked up. They have yelled at customers for not wearing masks. They've spread everyone apart. They've done live shows and curfews and everything else and you know uh people aren't going out which they shouldn't but uh, when you are a live entertainment venue that is uh, not how you stay in business so i live streamed a show and we raised uh so far we're up to two thousand and seventy four dollars wow to the club to um uh, help cover uh, the the missed shifts that people lost from shows canceling and you know lack of tips and uh, help cover uh, rent to keep the club alive and surviving through uh, through this trying time. Wow, that's awesome. Okay. There's probably no following that. <laughs> so Brent wins. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Erica, what was nerdy with you? Um, okay, well, the nerdiest gift that I received was from you, Brian. Um I love my, uh, he got me, him and Heather got me a bracelet for Christmas um, that is in Morse code, and it says, uh, no fucks given. <laughs> so, I really like that. Um, and then, I think the nerdiest thing that happened, and I already shared this with you, Brian, and you as well, David, on the chat, um, but... Uh, Amelia was telling jokes in the kitchen while I was cooking. And she said, uh, mom, what do you call a fly with no wings? And Chris responded a walk and Amelia started laughing hysterically. And I responded a deftone song to which she gave me an extremely perplexed look. And I then ended up uh, sharing some deftones music with my 13 year old. So it was, it was quite funny. That's that's pretty fantastic. What did she think of the Deftones? I'm curious. Oh, she liked it. She started listening to White Pony, the whole album. It was really funny. That was a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Being that I I screwed up the order completely, David. Oh, I know you did. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Uh, I actually didn't get too much for Christmas. Uh, it was kind of a very low key Christmas here. Uh, I got uh, some clothes from my mom. I don't have to buy myself, so yay. Uh, one of my favorite gifts to receive is clothes I don't have to go shopping for. Um, 
<laughs> Otherwise, it's actually been really low key the last uh, couple weeks. I've just been uh, my uh, my job went into our holiday shutdown mode, so I've had a bunch of time off. So I really haven't been doing much, just sitting around playing WoW. Yeah, it's uh, been uh, been rather low key the last couple of weeks. Not not much is going on. So uh, did your D and D game go? Oh, it's been going all right. We just been they've just been slowly plodding along. Considering I mean, like I'm the only one here who's not playing in it. What what? Yeah, well, oh the, that oh that D and D game. Oh yeah, no, that one's good. That was great. We had <laughs> we actually had a lot of fun last night at the session. You're so jelly. I you know, I have my own game that I, I, I can't have every game. I, I got I just got invited to another game that I was like, I can't play another game. I got invited to a Dungeon Crawl Classics game. That's not getting fun. I mean you're getting to play with Anna, so I mean Yeah. Yeah. What do you need us for? Exactly. <laughs> I I you know, I had to think about it. I was like, okay. A game that would have been really fun to be in, but I have I'm gamed out. I have a lot of games going on. Um, speaking of, okay, so um, my nerdy thing originally was just going to be like I went to Brent's show, um, which was it was a unique experience because right before the show, so that day I had a mishap with my dog. Um, I was trimming his nails and I hit the artery. Ooh. So I had to go to the vet and Heather and I, Heather had to take time off work and we went to the vet and it was a big deal and she, he had to get cauterized. And then that afternoon I was taking care of him. And right before Brent's show, Heather had made plans to go get her haircut. So I would be here and then I would sit on the couch and watch Brent's show while I was taking care of the dog. Well, right after she left, he stood up and his dressing fell off. So I had to take him to the vet and I was like, well, I really wanted to support Brent. So I was watching the show well, listening to the show in the car and then watching the show in the parking lot at the vet while I was waiting for him to get his dressing put back on. Nice. Going, going to a vet right now is an interesting experience because you have to go to the parking lot and then call and then wait for them to come out and get your pet. And then they bring the pet back in and then you have to wait for them to bring your pet back. And then you have to wait again for them to take your payment, which is really funny when you have, when they have your spouse's phone number and they don't have your phone number, even though you've given it to them three times and they'll call, they've called Heather and gone, I don't know where he is. I think he left and I'm sitting there in the parking lot. Wow. (laughs) So yeah. Um, but he's okay, and I had some good laughs on the road. Um, highlights from Brent's show that I thought were good, I'm going to tell these completely out of context, were um, I don't have a problem with them referring to knitters and the toadhead joke, which I'd heard once before and still found – I think I laughed harder the second time I'd heard it. <laughs> I enjoyed explaining those jokes to Amelia. That wow. was probably the most, the funniest thing. Cause I'm watching the live chat and, I'm, and you mentioned Amelia and I'm like, you're letting her watch this. I wish I was there to watch the explanation of the jokes. I, well, because we want it. So here's what happened. What had happened was <laughs> I had to go get groceries. Right. And so you had to pick up the groceries between a certain time. 
So we picked them up and we rushed home and we're trying to get all the groceries put away before eight o'clock when it started. And um, so we're rushing and we get everything put away and Amelia's helping us put everything away. And we go and we sit on the couch and we turn it on because we have YouTube connected to our smart TV. So uh, we're sitting there and we're watching it. And it's about the time that he does Schrodinger's uh, uh, glory hole that I turn (laughs) and I look at Amelia and I go, oh, no, (laughs) because I didn't realize like it didn't occur to me that she was watching, but she was watching. And as soon as he said that, she said, what? Isn't that about a cat? Oh, my God. Um. <laughs> wow. So at that point, it was too it was too late to shoo her out of the room. And I don't think she would have let me do it anyway, because it's Brent and she loves Brent. So uh, it was just a a few uncomfortable conversations, one of which my husband said, oh, no, I feel like I should be videotaping this. (laughs) And then and then he did and then sent it to both you, Brian and Brent. So, yeah. Oh, my God. That's funny. Mm -hmm. That was probably like the best Christmas gift. (laughs) I I watch Amelia being explained this joke. And then at the end, I hear I regret my birth. It was the highlight of the year. <laughs> the, the look of horror on on a teenager's face is you can't really bottle that, you know. Erica probably can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well it was a really uncomfortable conversation for me cuz I'm I'm it's I'm so factual, but it's really hard to describe <laughs> sexual so- acts to my daughter trying to be factual it, it did make me quite uncomfortable I, I can say i think you did a pretty good job you you've always been very forthright with her and it's it's in, in, and I, I i know she appreciates it now she's but she's now reaching the age where it's now awkward to hear that stuff <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much um uh, so nerdiest christmas present was um my brother-in-law got me a um a lightsaber for four-year-olds oh. well you haven't gotten mine yet because there was a delay okay i haven't gotten the lightsaber you sent me no you haven't gotten the christmas present <laughs> although i think heather's is better than yours Ooh. oh you know that's not the first time i've heard that people are like uh well, i said your presents are coming heather got something better that's like why do you feel like you have to tell me that <laughs> No, I'm telling you because I think hers is is funnier than yours. Oh, okay. Um, he got me a so I pull it out and it's this little lightsaber for four year olds and a hundred dollar Visa gift card. Nice. Oh, nice. So it was sort of like a funnier thing to do than a card with a gift card. Um, next year I'm gonna get him a. He got me a red one, so I'm going to get him a green one and a gift card to do the same thing. So I thought that would be a funny Christmas tradition. I like it. It's not bad. Um, the, coolest, the coolest Christmas present I got was something I'd been wanting for a really long time that I could only get in Oregon compared to California. Um, my best friend Sandro gave me an ASP, which is a retractable police baton or expandable police baton. And I'd been wanting one for years but they're not legal in California. Correct. They are not. And you can open carry them in Oregon. Um, I think you can open carry everything in a in where we are. Sorry. 
Um, I don't, I, I do think you do have to be careful about walking down the street with an actual sword strapped to your back here. You probably in Ohio too. I mean, you could probably get away with it in either state, but I mean, that's still a, hey, why do you have a metal sword strapped to your back type of conversation with police? <laughs> because they want to know if you're going to cut someone in half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. We've had a couple Katana-related deaths. Um, Have we? Yes. Hmm. I know in Riverside County in California, there was a dude who defended his house with a Katana, and he was given self-defense. He wasn't charged. I believe it. Yeah, he basically cut a burglar in half. I, um, so I, I've been asked many times, it's like, if I have swords in the house, it's like, would you want to, would you use that for self-defense? I was like, yeah, I probably would, but I wouldn't want to. Like the idea of cutting someone in half is horrifying. I mean, I would much yeah. rather not do that. <laughs> exactly. I prefer to uh, not cut people in half. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I feel, yes. Yeah, I... I mean, I don't have any illusions that an ASP will actually help me in a self-defense situation. I I have I got it more for training purposes. Air quotes, training purposes. No, I actually training purposes. Um, I, yeah. The, uh, so my martial arts experience is all weapon-based, and I, you know, I wanted something practical I could actually use rather than because I have I have rubber knives and stuff, but I've learned sticks and swords and stuff and. An ASP is a very practical self-defense weapon. I Before that, my practical self-defense weapon is a Kubaton, and I train with that. Um, a Kubaton is a, it's like a fist-sized stick, and it has rounded edges. And it's, um, the other term for a Kubaton is a rib separator. And it's basically. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's basically fun. meant to be a deterrent kind of, it, it it's a. It's sort of like brass knuckles, but it's not. And you can carry a, a coupon in California. So I trained when I was in California, I trained with one. And once again, my default self-defense is run away, but I like to have something with me just in case something happens and I can't. Um. And I don't have any illusions that I can defend myself against a knife with a stick. My self-defense is uh, a 20 or no, a nine millimeter. We have 22s and nine millimeters in the house, but 22s are really for anything. Yeah, They're just right. for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> They're just for the kids. Yeah. Amelia, uh, fire, Amelia, Amelia likes to fire the 20. I, I laugh because it. for the kids has a very ambiguous meaning. Oh, it's not- sort of like, it's sort of like a, um, We've graduated from hot bottoms. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I'm not even a gun advocate, too. I don't want it to sound like I, I am, but we had uh, some pretty scary things happen. And uh, and now we have guns, um, a lot of them, in several rooms, but they're all locked up. So they're all in safes, and you just have to you have to know the codes. So... Well, I'm proud of you for how organized, how how well you got everything defended down when the scary stuff happened, um, mm-hmm. because the scary stuff happened to me, too. And I was in a similar kind of what do I do situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, voting time. Um, well, real quick, Brian. Yeah. Just for 
just for clarification, when you say that you got a lightsaber for a four-year-old, are you talking about a lightsaber for a child or you got Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber? <laughs> oh, that's great. Wasn't he nine? Oh, oh, no, no, I get it. I get it. Oh, a lightsaber wrong, to wrong kill movie. a four-year-old. Oh, God. Oh, uh, took, took you long enough. For it's, the kids. It's, for the kids. Uh, it's red. So no, because he didn't he didn't kill the kids with a red lightsaber. No, that's funny. Um, that that is that 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 comes off perfectly after I said a twenty two for the guns for the kids. It did. Uh, yeah, this is why you're a professional comedian and we are not. I don't know. I've always been a fan of the uh, self defense taught by Bobby Hill. I don't get that. Oh, oh, I do get that. I don't. That's, yeah. that's, I don't know you. That's my purse. Kick him straight in the groin. As uh, hard as you I can. don't know you. I don't know you. That's my purse. <laughs> that's funny. Because he went to a women's self-defense class. Because it was the only it. class at the Y that wasn't full. I, I get it. <laughs> okay. Um, Brent, you have... There are four of us, so you have five widgets to distribute. Who do you give them to and why? Two of them go to Erica for teaching her daughter the Deftones. Uh, two of them go to Brian for uh, killing some yinglings. <laughs> <laughs> and then we give uh, one of them to, uh, to David... Because that's how we uh, equally redistribute uh, widgets. (laughs) And let's continue the order messed up. Erica, five. Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to have to give all five to Brent. Because I think the, the live stream show was great. As uncomfortable as it did get for me, uh, it was really great. And it was a good cause. And I loved it. How much money did you end up raising, Brent? Uh, last I checked, it was two thousand and seventy-four dollars. Uh, I'm going to leave it up just for probably a few more days, uh, just in case people are are waiting on stimulus checks to come in and are, are waiting on that to donate some. Well, this episode will go live on Wednesday. I can accuse it. Would it? Would should I include the link in the in the episode description, or would that be uh, too late? I'll be happy to keep it open long enough for that. Okay, um, David. Oh, right. Voting. Um, Erica gets three because uncomfortable conversations are funny to outsiders. And Brent will get the other two because that was awesome. I'll have to send you that video, David. (laughs) Brent, because of your not only funny comedy show, but your humanitarian efforts, you win this game. Uh, You didn't vote, Brian. Oh, Oh, I, mean, I, I do to, have to do that. Vote. Well, it's easy to forget me. It's not like it's not like I'm not super busy managing everything. In addition to okay, uh, let's see. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody had good stuff. I'm gonna give um, two to Erica, giving her seven, and then I'll give two to Brent. Because I enjoyed the show. I thought it was very nerdy. And I think HP Lovecraft t-shirts are, are nerdy too. And, um, you know, David, 
I appreciate I, the fact that when David comes to nerdy things, he's like, I didn't do anything, but I know David. So he gets, he gets to, so Brent, you win still. And um, the widgets will be on their way. Um, due to social distancing guidelines, you're going to get one widget every six days. And um, the widgets all will be equipped with their own masks. Uh, the masks have this like ventilation thing that requires a backpack that's like 10 times the size of the widget. So each widget will come in its own box. Each box weighs about 70 pounds. Um, shipping will be charged um, COD. Wow. So your widgets are just Gloomhaven. <laughs> I do not get that. I do not. Oh, the, oh, so each widget is a Gloomhaven board game. Okay. Yes. I need to start pausing more after you tell a joke because this episode is going to be nothing but me going, I don't get, oh. <laughs> um, so speaking of... Speaking of comedy, that's what we're talking about today. Oh, my God. It, 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 what? What, David? What? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Speaking of comedy, this is what we're going to be talking about today. I mean, newsflash, we have a comedian on the show. Of course, we're going to be talking about comedy. Brent's going to get sick of that after a while. Um, you? Yeah. Brent can talk about whatever the fuck he wants. Exactly. Hey, Brent. All right. We never do this. Do you want to change the topic? Um, uh, call it an audible. <laughs> yeah. If Brent wants to throw some monkey wrench into it and just make force us to talk about something else that I haven't prepared for, I am I I will fall on that sword. Oh, that was loud. Talk about putting the guest on the spot. Yeah. Uh I don't know. I mean I, I came in uh prepared for the topics that, that you have. Well then, yeah, you can you can continue to talk about this one and just say we're going to continue to talk about the prepared topic. But I mean, we we just don't want to pigeonhole you. Yeah, right. I mean, we we did comedy last time, and you gave us a you gave us a really great. You know, you talked about the philosophy and ethical responsibility of comedy. It was it was fantastic, and then we pull you back and we make the cop the comedy again. Uh, if there was, if there was something, uh, and I feel like this would be kind of like a, a good follow-up to, uh, no, Nat one, um, episode is to also, uh, talk about other non fifth edition games that we enjoy, or, uh, at least elements from different non fifth edition games. Oh, wow. I could do that. Yeah. That's a pretty good one. Oh, okay. The, the outline is burned. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> what do we do <laughs> all right so deep, will... deep breath Brian. deep breaths <laughs> we do the the thing that we do when we have no topic we we just bullshit that, that's what we do um so um oh no <laughs> uh, okay Brent. Uh, yeah but we yes yeah, because have material that we can draw from like this is actually a topic that we're all passionate about we all have the experience about it we're not fishing for clicks and likes and oh, absolutely to... brian's just going through dts because his outline is no longer useful <laughs> you know you would think that but i have backup outlines 
How am, uh, how am I not surprised? So, you know, one of the things that great, great about this topic is, so games that are not traditional games. So you, so the, the question is, what is a traditional game and what is a not traditional game? So that's what I'm going to pose you, Brent. What, so we're talking about tabletop games or like RPGs or RPG-like games. Yeah. When you're talking traditional versus non-traditional, what are you referring to? Uh, so I think traditional is going to be anything where your your character has numbers and then those numbers will dictate um, how you generate a pool of dice. And, and a single D20 is still technically a pool of dice before we start getting into some of those other non-traditional. Uh, so yes, you have, you have a, a sheet um, that defines your character. Within that are rules of how many dice you roll and how you add numbers uh, together. And I feel like that's the, tr- for me, that's what constitutes a traditional RPG. And then non-traditional could be like, you use something else other than dice, or you're using a very vague roll set, or... What's an example of a non-traditional? Yeah. I, don't, I can't even think of one. Um, so oh. even though... No, Fiasco has dice. Fiasco does not have a character sheet, um, and there's no math involved. It is a a pure storytelling game. Yeah, Fiasco is fun. Uh, another one it would be like the White Wolf systems. They use d10s for things. You do have a traditional character sheet, but stats are done differently. And so, I actually consider the White Wolf system. Uh, more traditional because you are, you know, concocting a pool uh, similar to like the Cortex system, which first appeared in the uh, Marvel superhero. Well, I should specify the most Actually, recent Marvel superheroes. Uh, the Cortex system started out in Serenity, the RPG, if oh, memory serves. Okay. That's why it's called the Cortex system. <laughs> gotcha. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think of the Cortex system was interesting because it was like they they gobbled up every single license they could find and they had the Smallville game and the leverage game. And the, it, it was, it was crazy. The supernatural role-playing game was Cortex. Yeah. But I think mm-hmm. the one that the, the first one that really took off with that rule set was the Serenity RPG, which but was I, based I would, off the Firefly universe. I would think of that as a traditional game. I mean, you're going to get blending here because you can't really have a purely experimental non-traditional game that doesn't involve people sitting around a table describing what their characters are doing there's always going to be a little bit of similarity to traditional games i mean when you're talking traditional you you kind of go just, back to original guess, red box D or white box yeah. D. well i think it all just depends on your definition of traditional like myself i consider traditional games games where you're, the d20 is the big die that's rolled and a lot of the other systems, your White Wolf, your Cortex, your other stuff, they don't use D20s. Yeah, I think, <laughs> so. that's, I think that's valid. I think that's very valid. Um, but yeah, Fiasco's... A, I only ever yeah. played traditional. Yeah, Fiasco's a good example because it's... Uh, it, um, when you don't have a character sheet, it's your... your your I you know, you sit down at the table and it's like you have so much freedom, you can get decision paralysis. Oh, yeah. Or uh, there's uh, that other one. I can't think of the one, but um, it, you use like a Jenga, a Jenga tower. Oh, um, dread. 
Yeah, yes. it was it. Yeah. yeah, the idea behind that game is um, they're trying to reproduce tension of a horror story. So every decision you're making and every action you're making, you have to pull a certain number of bricks from the Jenga tower. And as the game progresses, the tension increases because if that tower falls, you die. It's not a you fail. It's a you're gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you just rebuild the tower and continue the story with the remaining players uh, in the same way of, you know, I... I go to open this this jar of pickles. Okay, well that's that's one pull. I'm going to try and uh, jump from rooftop to rooftop. Cool. Do five pulls. <laughs> I've I've even I've I've seen dread done with like traditional horror stories. Like people have done it with um, Friday the Thirteenth, and it's like um, you hear a noise outside. Oh, I'm gonna go check on it. Pull five bricks. <laughs> 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 and it's like the second you hear that you're like oh did oh, i just fuck no. up <laughs> <laughs> and it puts the responsibility on the storyteller in that case to rank up the tension by deciding you know am i going to let them know that this is something that's not that big of a deal or is it a really big deal even though the story just started it's it's interesting when you when you start changing how things are done um, I, one of the, we, we talked about traditional games being with a character sheet and dice. Um, I think fate has a nice little non-traditional element in that instead of each character building their character, the character creation is a storytelling experience where everyone works together and builds a group. Oh, sorry. I had a little plosive there, a group. And, um, the when everyone sits down to their first game they're playing the game in character creation which is a nice change of pace where a lot of times with something like D&D you have that entire session where everybody kind of sits building their own characters before you actually start playing but there's storytelling elements in character creation and fate and i like that mm -hmm. interesting yeah it really helps um really emphasize the, the background nature, um, actually making a character, actually making connections so that you're not all a bunch of uh, uh, tall orphans with mysterious backgrounds drinking at a tavern. They're called murder hobos. And uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyways. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, like my, my biggest experience with, with a quote unquote non-traditional role-playing game would have to be the, my experience both with the, uh, uh, original Star Wars D6 system and the Cortex system mm -hmm. are the two big ones that I've had experience with. Yeah, I like the uh, the one Star Wars. I forget which system it is, but it's the one that has uh, the weird dice. Oh, the new one? The one with, yeah. uh, with the fudge dice? Uh, the um, shit, what's it called? Uh, the, um, uh, uh, I can't think of it. Yeah, I'm blanking on it. That's an F. Uh, uh, not Fate of the Empire. Uh, Edge of the Empire? That might be it. It's the same game that makes... It's the same company that makes uh, the game about the World War One airplanes. I can't think of the goddamn name of it. Okay. But yeah, but the, the element of that of having the, the, uh, the light side and the dark side points and where um, you can uh, spend a, a light side point, which turns into a dark side point, um, for you to succeed. But then that's just giving... 
the GM, the storyteller, uh, more fuel to really um, impose difficulty and obstacles and make you fail at things, which in turn gives you now the pool to succeed at what you need to do. Yeah. You know, we've talked about traditional versus non-traditional in terms of game mechanics, but um, a lot of times people would refer to traditional games as fantasy RPGs. And then I think the next stage was people playing sci-fi RPGs. Mm-hmm. What are some of the storytelling elements that are super untraditional that may use similar game mechanics, but might be going off in another direction story-wise? I, I think you mentioned Fiasco. Fiasco is it's it's more of like a it's more of like a um, kind of like a thriller or spy story storytelling method in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say Fiasco is a a spy or a thriller. Um, it depends on which scenario you're doing. Well, I guess this comes from my uh, my improv background. So one of the things that uh, improvisers uh, love to get off on is uh, long form. And so it's not at all like whose line is it anyways, where um, when you hear the, the bell ring, you have to change what you're doing or there's no gimmick to it. It's just... Uh, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of them creating the, the story as it goes. They will fast forward and they'll flash back and they'll revisit. And so Fiasco is very great at facilitating a lot of the elements should be in a good long form, which is uh, character relationships, familiar places that you that you go into, um, people setting up a scene and other people determining how it ends. And, and again, fast forward, flashback, interconnected like meanwhile at the legion of doom so it's not just for spine thriller but a full cohesive storytelling have you ever heard of blades in the dark i have not blades in the dark is a um it's a grim dark um rpg where the players play criminals in a kind of a steampunk victorian setting uh, the idea is the world used to be a fantasy world, like a high fantasy world, and an apocalypse happened, and now it's a steampunk world in a Victorian city where the city is surrounded by walls of lightning and ghosts. Um, anyone who dies comes back as a ghost, so there's this wall of lightning around the city that stops ghosts from coming into the city, and if you die, um, basically the, the steampunk ghostbusters show up and and burn your body so a ghost doesn't form. Nice. Um, the idea behind the game is you're playing a gang in the city and you have, it, it's sort of Peaky Blinders style of Victorian gang where you're playing a gang and you have to do jobs. One of the things in RPGs is when you're doing heist type things or investigation type things, there's that planning where everybody sits down and goes, how are we going to do this? Well, Blades in the Dark has no planning. You just jump in and start doing the job after you decide what the premise of the job is. Like, are you going to do a snatch and grab? Are you going to do a, um, how are you going to handle the mission? Are you going to do it sneaky? Are you going to do it um, kick in the door? Once you decide on that, everything is done in flashbacks. Okay. So the non-traditional part of the RPG is, let's say you go, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pretend to be, we're going to do it with disguise. So you go in, let, let's say the job is to go into a club and steal something. So the way to get by the bouncers is when you go by the bouncer, someone goes, okay, I'm going to use one of my points to do a flashback. 
I bribed this bouncer before. And then you roll to see if that was successful. And if it was, the bouncer's like, all right, you can go in or let you have a weapon or something like that. If it failed, that's up to the GM. The bouncer can be like, okay, you can go in. One of the ways the one of the ways the success failure works is most things are success with complications. So you're you're either gonna succeed, you're gonna fail, but more about the time you're gonna you're gonna be able to get in that club, but the bouncer's gonna ask for more money or something like that. So you end up, since most things are success with complications, people do flashbacks, but they're not, they don't feel like they're just telling a story. They feel like they still don't know what's going to happen. So it's very interactive between the players and the storyteller. And it's a very fast paced game because it cuts that planning out. Everything is done on the fly or in flashbacks. The other thing I like about how that game works is one of the big parts of traditional role-playing games is buying your equipment. You spend a whole bunch of time picking everything you have. In that game, you decide if you're carrying a light amount of stuff, a medium amount of stuff, or a heavy amount of stuff. And then when you need to pick your stuff, you just have it depending on how much stuff you're carrying on you. And you have, I think if you have a light, you have like four things. If you have a medium, you have like seven things. And if you have heavy, you have like 10 things. And if you want it, you have it. It's so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, um, David, we've talked about, like you talked about how you think of non, non-traditional games as being not D&D. And you mentioned White Wolf specifically because it uses D10s. How, how is White Wolf different for you other than like, w- what was your experience with it? David's not here right now. Please oh, check did back David, in a few moments. Did David step away? I wasn't paying attention to the chat. I was just letting you get through the question because I thought it was funny. I have nothing to really contribute to non-traditional because uh, listening to you guys, I have only ever played traditional. Um, what What are some of the thoughts you have when you're... Do you get excited about playing non-traditional games? Does it give you anxiety about like playing something different? No, I don't have anxiety about playing something. I've, I've just, I mean, I work full time and I have two kids and, you know, um, I, I just haven't been introduced to these non-traditional, you know, games. So, I mean, everything that I've ever played has been D and D three, you know, 3.5 and five and Pathfinder, you know, first edition and then D and D second edition when I was a kid like way back with my dad. So um, I've, yeah, I've, I've never really played anything that was non-traditional. So Brent, I don't have a lot to contribute. <laughs> um, well then Brent, I want to ask you, if you were going to introduce Erica to a non-traditional game, what kind of stuff do you explain um, to get a player who's only played things like D&D comfortable with a different kind of concept? Uh, so this, uh, this actually works out pretty great that, uh, Erica doesn't have the experience because now I get to run Erica through everything that I normally ask other people. (laughs) Uh, so yeah. So like, what do you, what are some of the aspects of, uh, Dungeons and Dragons that you do enjoy? Oh, for, for me, it's always the story. I am a story first mechanics leader. Okay. Um, 
perfect because uh, I would, I don't know that I would necessarily push you towards fiasco right off the bat because that is like extreme uh, all story, no mechanics. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think the fate system would be really fun for you because that's uh, another one, as we kind of talked about earlier, um, character creation happens through the story. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of it is driven of, well, I want to do this. Okay, well, like roll four dice and see if uh, your pluses or your minuses. So, well, you do it well or uh, you do it, but... Yeah. Um, I also think that you would probably love the White Wolf system as a whole. Um they're, the nice thing about White Wolf is uh, because it's a, and they've done better with more recent editions of codifying the rules, so that um, you know if you're a vampire, your your tens uh, explode or your ten, I forget. Sometimes your tens explode and sometimes they just count as two successes, and sometimes it's so they're yeah, it's better. different depending on which edition you're looking at. Yeah, so they're doing a lot better job of. Uh, it all, it also mind. depends on which game you're actually playing. There are several of them in the White Wolf, the White Wolf universe. Right. So they're doing a better job of simplify of streamlining and just having one rule set. But there are, if, if you're definitely into the the True Blood, yeah, if you will, of mages <laughs> and fae and vampires and werewolves <laughs> and ghosts, uh, uh, I have found that the uh, the White Wolf system really lends itself well to better role play and less uh rules arguments if you will yeah it it's it's one of those systems where it's easier to fudge things because mm-hmm. it's based on numbers of successes and stuff anyway so it's it's you're not trying to hit a target dc you're trying well you are but you're trying to get a number of dice that hit that number to count how successful you were in whatever endeavor you were trying to do hmm so say okay. say say like you're trying to jump over something based on how many points you've put into certain skills you're going to get a dice pool of a number of d10s depending mm-hmm. on how hard the jump is the number you're going to have to get to get a success will be set probably like a 6 or a 7 so you roll your d10s you count the number of successes you get That's that's okay all right thank you David that that helped me kind of understand um you, when you're talking about like successes and everything because that's that's interesting. I kind of really like that idea because you know having everything on a single d twenty, mm-hmm. you know, as mm-hmm. we learned last night in our game, can be a bunch <laughs> of successive ones for everybody. <laughs> yeah, and you guys was, uh... can't uh, find your way out of a paper bag. <laughs> yeah. um, well, but, <laughs> but you know, having something where it's a, a dice pool, so the more points you put into something, the the better chance you have of it. I like that. That's see that seems to be more true to real life because yeah. the harder you work at something, the or you know, the you know, if I'm if I'm gonna do woodworking, right, and I've never done it before, it's probably not gonna turn out great. Right. Yeah. Unless I have some sort of natural knack for it that I'm not, you know, or you're or you're extremely lucky <laughs> or you're extremely lucky, which is kind of what, you know, a D20 would be right. Like, yay, I've never done this thing before. 20. Yay. I'm super great at it. Yeah. But just this one fucking time. So so this seems to be more true to real life where, you know, you you work at something and you put in the effort, you learn different techniques and. Maybe it's super easy for me to make a lamp or, you know, a bookcase or, you know, whatever it is. And it looks really great. 
you know, I feel like I feel like that's that's yeah. I really like that idea. Yeah, yeah. It, in in that scenario, in, in uh, uh, something in in game mechanics would be like you're trying to say you're trying to do woodworking. If you've never done any of it before, you don't have any points in it. You'd get to roll one one or maybe two d tens. You're trying to hit probably a six or a seven for your uh, success point, where someone who's trained in it will get you know five or six d tens. And mm-hmm. as long as you get two or three successes, you'll be fine. So you have to roll successes on all your dice, where somebody who's got who proficiency in it will only have to get on like half of them. It's easier to see that. Right. And yeah. it also creates uh, storytelling gatekeeping, if you will. So yeah. um, one of the things you know that that I don't like about 5th edition is uh, roll me an arcana check. Well, you know, your wizard, who's proficient in arcana, rolls a 2 with still their only uh, plus five proficiency bonus then they have a seven but the barbarian who's not proficient with an eight intelligence happens to roll an 18 on the die and they get it which yeah. is frustrating whereas in the white wolf system if you're trying to hack a computer the barbarian need to roll intelligence plus computers and only has one die to roll so even oh. if they roll uh, a 10 that's they only going to be one success three success yeah they may not get yeah. the three successes necessary to hack the computer Whereas the yeah. the actual computer computer nerd who's rolling a, a pool of eight dice probably I mean they may not succeed. yeah but on the average they'll they'll succeed a lot better than your barbarian will right yeah <laughs> oh I turned it on <laughs> yeah right I hacked it right <laughs> yeah <laughs> me push on button uh, my favorite white wolf system though. Uh, is not World of Darkness. Really? Uh, it is Scion. Oh, okay. I'm not uh, familiar with that one. Okay, I've heard of it. I've never played it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, so uh, are you familiar with the Percy Jackson um, like universe and, and novels? I've seen the movie. I saw I the first about movie. Greek mythology. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the gist of it is... Um, and it goes beyond beyond the Greeks. So uh, all the go- all the gods are real, all of them. So the Greek, the Norse, the uh, the celestial Roman. bureaucracy, the the Hindi, the South American pantheon, like all the gods are real. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, overthrew the Titans. The Titans are trying to break free from all of their you know prisons and take the world back. And you are uh, the the children of those. Um, you know, much the same way that uh, Zeus uh, came down as a golden shower and, and birthed uh, Hercules, that is essentially your origin. The gods come down, they find... They can't um, keep mortal... it in their pants, and they, yep. uh, boom, you exist yes, now. They find mortal mates, and you are uh, you are a half-god. Don't put your dick in it! Ah, too late, put my dick in it! Yep, and then, uh, and just like uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, American gods, um, as your... Uh, as your deeds become and yourself become known and, and what you represent gains followings, uh, you too ascend to godhood. Hmm. Brent, I think we're going to play something new. I fucking love running. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think one of the, one of the core things that I see a lot in non-traditional games is they've gotten past that success failure. So you don't have that no one succeeds. You get the someone succeeds with complications. You see that so often. Because I yeah. think it was a problem that needed to be solved in games that 
Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and games like that, ha- they don't have a, I sort of succeeded. Well, it depends on your GM, but yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and rules is written. No, there is no, there is no, no real factor for that. I'm, but the, the closest they get to it is I pick a lock. Oh, you failed? Well, you didn't fail by five, so you didn't break the lock. Or you didn't set the trap off when you were trying to disable the trap. Yeah. But in in the um, in, in non-traditional games I've seen, you managed to stop the trap, but it was noisy. Or you managed to stop the trap, but it let off a whole bunch of steam in the other room, and now they know that you're there. It, it, there's There's more freedom for complications than... You know, if you can you can do that in traditional games. And I think that's one of the benefits of non-traditional games is you can apply these things to traditional games. Mm-hmm. Um, Brent, what are what are some of the things in non-traditional games that you have found by playing non-traditional games makes you better at a, as a player or a de- or a storyteller in a traditional game? About this last night. Uh, uh, the way that you tell your story with the dice. Um, there's uh, there's people who, I guess the, the, the two extremes of it are the people who just say, I intimidate them, and then they roll the, the, the D20, and then they check the number, and they're like, do I intimidate them? So you have like no story at all whatsoever. Um, on the opposite stream of that are the people who really articulate uh, what it is that they say and I get right up in his face and I'm yelling so loud that spit is flying out of my mouth and splashing him in the face and and I'm staring him in the eyes and watching him shiver as I uh, tell him exactly where I'm going to put all every single blade in my bandolier and and twist it and and then they roll a two Um, and it's like well that that's nice that you said that you did that, but then the dice didn't really back up what you did. So having that that medium spot of I'm going to go up and yell at them in their face and then, okay, well now roll the die and then, okay, so what now knowing that failed, uh, <laughs> what do you, you know, how do you follow through? You know, get halfway through your action, determine are you going to succeed or fail? Uh, okay, I succeeded at this somehow. So now I will describe how uh, off-chance, well-honed skill, I know exactly what to do. Or, well, that's a not nat one. Okay, well, I uh, I go to walk up to them and then yell in their face, and I didn't realize my shoelace was on it, so I actually fall face first and head plant right at their their boot. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so, so learning how to like give and take with storytellers uh, and my players has really helped a lot. One of the things that I picked up from non-traditional games that I, I use, and it's starting to work into the mechanics in traditional games a little bit more, is narrative control, where the player has more control over the story than they do in traditional games. Because in traditional games, it, it, it was always the GM tells the story, and then the players make choices based on what the GM presented. And in a lot of non-traditional games, there's... Um, a lot of mechanics that let players go, well, what if this happened? And there's some of that in traditional games with like action point systems and hero point systems where a player can use points to say, 
what if this happened? In first edition Pathfinder, there was an option for the hero points where if a player used a hero point, they could they could break a rule. They could say, well, what if I did this? And the GM would be encouraged to come up with some kind of role to see if that would work. And I liked the, it give you an option to cheat on occasion, to do something that was outside of your normal mechanics. In a lot of non-traditional games, you're encouraged to tell a story yourself and say, well, what if someone showed up to help or what if this or what if that? And I like that. I like that. It gives the players more narrative control. I I think that's my favorite thing about non-traditional games and what they, what they, they give that lets you learn that you can play differently. Brent, what are your favorite, what is your, your favorite things about non-traditional games and what they teach you about how you can play a game differently than what Gygax taught us years ago. I, I, I think two things. First off is learning how to pick my fights. Um, and Erica has been very good about running this with, um, with fifth edition is even though we have move speeds, um, like how far away is it? It's a move action away. Like unless you're, unless you're an elf versus a gnome who's trying to have a sprint, you know, like until it matters, then it doesn't matter. hundred percent. And the other thing that I, that I have really loved is, um, gestalting game systems. Um, I think every system has some things that I very, very much like about them. Uh, like I love fifth editions, uh, legendary actions and layer actions. Oh, those are great. Yeah. So I love bringing those now, um, into my other games. So especially Pathfinder second edition where, um, the, you have just a very generic three action system and those three actions can be anything. And because the attack of opportunity is not nearly as present, you, I, I've been having fun essentially doing like world of Warcraft and final fantasy 14, uh, boss fights where you learn the dance. Nice. Um, having the environment also act as an adversary, um, in addition to your adversary and learning how to, um, you know, like, uh, Obi-Wan versus Anakin where they're fighting on, on Mustafar. It's like, well, shoot, we, this is not, uh, the ideal I mean, place to be. He has the this. high ground fights over. Mm-hmm. Um, Starfinder is another one where I have loved um, even within Starfinder itself uh, having starship combat as its own thing and then adding to that with um, different environmental effects of what's going on you know, doing the fight in the asteroid field um, but I've even combined that where there have been stowaways on the ship itself and so while you have another ship engaging with you in ship to ship combat uh, half your half the party is piloting the ship and trying to shoot that, while the other half of the party are trying to uh, hunt down and stop the saboteurs that keep throwing grenades in the engine, worsening the ship. Uh, yeah, I'm just having fun borrowing from different games and combining them together to really create some interesting combinations that I don't think you will find from authors who are system pure, if that makes sense. Now, I, I agree. I had an idea that we could talk about non-traditional, but this isn't something. This is basically only a few of us could probably share about like things. Probably only Brent and I actually. So let's just share and discuss. 
one of the one of the ways I've used non-traditional games is um, in Starfinder. They have VR sports and VR games that you can play. And one of the things I did with my players in a Starfinder is they went into a VR game. And when they were playing in VR, I used the fate system. Nice. So it gave an idea that they were using a game system in that game, but they didn't continue to use the Starfinder system. So they were all in a VR world, but they were using the fate system to make their decisions. That was how I use non-traditional games overtly in a traditional game. I like the idea. It's interesting. Now, I do want to kind of take a, a weird flip on this. Uh, knowing that Erica loves uh, loves story and the rule of cool over the rules of the game. Uh, another game that I really enjoy, um, but it is <laughs> it's a different mindset to have to be in and one that I would uh, not recommend for people who enjoy lax rules is the Warhammer role-playing game. Ah, Grimdark. Um, I enjoy it, um, but it is very, very detailed and rules focus um so when i'm you... not gonna lie i've never enjoyed anything warhammer other than painting minis and i know the the rp the tabletop's different probably than the mini game but it's i mean uh, just watching bit, those games huh a little bit but not really it's the same universe it i don't know just watching little mini games like was like nah i didn't find it very interesting yeah you're you will not like the uh, the role playing game either um, because instead of just rolling to hit uh, so everything is done as a as a percentile so mm-hmm. you um, and you have to roll under uh, it is a classless system so you you spend time uh, as long as you survive <laughs> long enough then you have the option of increasing your ability to be good at something by five percent and, and uh, once you are certain proficiencies then you can move into different jobs and develop those skills um, when you roll to hit uh, you know you might have a 25% chance of hitting someone uh, so if you do um, it then determine you then roll randomly where did you hit them mm-hmm. and then uh, once you determine that then you compare that to what kind of armor they are wearing in that particular body part uh, because it is such a grim dark world you may have, uh, you know, an iron breastplate, but you might only have um, a leather hat and then like cloth sleeves and pants. Mm. Yeah, and then depending on what damage type versus the armor type, and then it soaks, and then you get damage to that body part. And yeah, it's it's a lot like third ed in that respect. Of, oh, there's a chart for that. Yeah, so it's it's very chart heavy. Um, you you can survive a fight uh, and just like lose an eye and lose a hand and then move on to the next fight. You could just die because, uh, because you lost an arm. Um, are, is any, is everyone here familiar with the gamers movies? Yes. Mm-hmm. Erica. Mm-mm. The gamers movies are these movies that they did where it was people sitting down playing a D&D game or a D&D like game and it would switch back and forth between showing them playing the game and showing their characters. And they recently did one where it was a bunch of players playing an old game. They were playing an old game mechanic system and it was a very chart based game. And they 
they represented this by showing the grapple rules in this old game. And it was four pages of grapple rules. And they're like, I grab him and I throw him down. Okay, first roll to see if you can yeah. grab him with, grab him. Okay, I grab him and I throw him down. Uh, no, 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 no. You grab them with your right hand. Now you have to roll to see what happens when you try to grab them with your left hand. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were just making fun of third ed. That, but yeah, because <laughs> it, 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 it reminds me of that. It's you have a mechanic and a chart for everything. Yep. I, I think there's something to be said about crunchiness in games like I, when when I first was introduced to second edition D&D, my GM was very strict about you had to keep track of all your material components if you were a spellcaster. And we enjoyed that. We would we would spend time out of game cataloging everything we had. We would go to suppliers and order stuff. But when I switched to third ed and didn't have to do that anymore, I realized that you didn't have to and was like, oh, you don't have to be this crunchy about everything in games. But at the time, it was the first game I'd ever been introduced to. I thought that was how you played. Mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of want oh, to try out say, Warhammer RPG. Nobody got time for that no more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, I need to call time. Um, but before we move on to the next segment, I have to thank Brent. I totally put you on the spot, which is a kind of an uncool move, but you you gave us a great topic. Thank you. You do know he like improvises for fun. Well, I don't yes. think it's that big of a deal. Yes, but I, you know, I accidentally put myself on the spot too, which was dumb. <laughs> um, so we are moving into our final segment, which is Tales from the Extramensional Portal, 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 where we use our science fiction technology which we actually have um in last episode we established that i have a new console that was provided by a time and space traveling doctor who may not be associated with any copyrighted material and um we can jump right back into trying to use this technology again yeah did you uh, did you decipher anything in the manual she said i have Actually, the, the translation components working. I can see more than the pictures now. There's still a lot, you know, it gives me a headache to stare at these symbols because if you stare at them for long enough, they start to make sense. It just takes time. And I think I got it down. So before we start trying to travel to new places again, I'm going to use this thing to try to contact another dimension or time or space i haven't gotten down to be able to pick which yet so um let me fire this up all right i am con i i am going to fire it up now in three two one dit, 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 dit. oh oh blimey it looks like we might have someone here hello oh hello hello oh, is this talkie working um I, I I I guess the talkie is working. Ah, well, welcome, listeners. We've we've managed to make contact with someone from across the pond. Here, this is Brian Parnell here, hosting with the uh, Ballyhoo Podcast Radio. Here, 
Who do we have on the line today, sir? Um, you're you're here with um, Super Vegan Brian um, oh. from Nerd Podcast Radio. Uh, super Vegan, clearly you are, are American. Otherwise, you would have been the Uber Vegan, and we couldn't have had you on the show at all. No, no. <laughs> um, we also have um, th- there's there's actually three more of us. We have um, Kersey Smurferica. Hello, uh, David the. I'm waiting. About the third. There we go. And um, <laughs> and um, Brent, something joke about Mario Brothers Bowser. Oh, well, thank you. I'll be happy to introduce you to our crew that we have here. Uh, on here, we have uh, we have the the wonderful Flapper Jeanette. Well, hello. Then we also have the... I'm waiting. Elbow the fourth. Oh, thank you much. <laughs> And uh, hold it one second. Shut the fuck up, Anthony. He's in the background. Just being a, a little old ballyhoo about him. He's always like that. So, so um, oh, oh, you go, you go, go ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, uh, w- well, today we were going to uh, be discussing uh, what we plan to do about war. That's that's a that's a pretty hard topic, but. Um, I would think that you would have to analyze the entire socio-political environment first. That that would be that would be pretty heavy and take a lot of time. Mm. I mean, well, we could do that, or we could just do what we feel. Right? Do you have a topic that you would like to discuss on today's show? I mean, well, we, we came with an agenda, but we're more than willing to just throw it to to whatever you feel like doing. Well, we were. Oh, that's a pretty bold thing to do. Um, you know, we did something like that similar. We were going to talk about um, film, comedy and films and TV, and then we ended up talking about non-traditional role-playing games instead. Oh, uh, okay. N- non-traditional games such as uh, like Diddly Squat, where you, you know, put your fingers in your buttholes? Or, that... or, or, or is this one of those games where instead of playing it in the bedroom, you do it out on the street? Oh, like, uh, <laughs> like Magic the Gathering. Yeah, just like that. Mm-hmm. Tell me, sir, in your in your timeline, when you're playing Magic the Gathering, does the black mana go in a separate pool? No. <laughs> no, it does not. Not wow. anymore. That that sounds that sounds um not that progressive. I'm I'm kind well, of shocked. Well, I think by that, that definitely tells us something about them, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What kind of strange future are they living in? It's clearly not in the nineteen twenties that we're in. Definitely not a place that I want to be. We're, oh, you're in the 1920s. We're actually in the 2020s here. Oh. Oh, that place sounds terrible. It sounds absolutely awful. It, it's pretty much what you expect. Well, it's, it's not that good. Oh. Well, I'm sure you haven't had anything as terrible as the Spanish flu. We just got over that about two years ago. Killed tons of the world. Yeah, um, you wouldn't have any problems like that in the 2020s. You would think that, um, but no, um, there, there was a disease that happened. It's, it's not the Spanish flu. It was called um, the coronavirus. That sounds pretty Spanish to me. And yeah, I would say I that mean, sounds he's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> you would think that we would have um, learned our lesson from the Spanish flu because that did happen in our timeline, but it happened a hundred years ago, a little bit more than a hundred years ago. And um, no, a pandemic still happened. And 
a lot of people didn't make it. And um, oh my! But you know, things seem like they're probably getting better. Um, we're they're uh, they're getting ready to distribute a vaccine, and it's it it's been less than a year, so we're optimistic that that'll work. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. I bet you guys got rid of polio, though, right? We did. Yes. Tuberculosis. No, for the most part. Oh. For the most part, um, there are parts of the world where it's still a huge problem. Well, that, that's so strange. If, if you are actually successful, then then why is there a problem now? Uh, did you not win the war with Texas? Oh, yes. Wait, the what? The war, <laughs> the with, war Texas. with Texas. Mm-hmm. What year is it on your end? Well, it's 1923. They're not even a state yet. Um, yes, that is a, they, an actual but, thing that happened in history, David. <laughs> Right. Sorry. It's, it's early. <laughs> um, I, I think we call all of that the Mexican American war now. Yeah. I thought that was in the 18, that happened in the 1800s. Well, the, you know, there's, there's, you know, sometimes when we talk to other timelines, things are, you know, skewed. We call that um, continuity. Con- we, we, we have to refill our continuum. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the continuum dial is turned a little bit too low this time, I think. Well, I, it doesn't sound like that is a very nice place that you're in anyway. I think I much prefer to stay here where the champagne is always overflowing. Don't you think? Ah, yes. In fact, you seem a little tipsy right now. Would you care to go ahead and go for a drive and hopefully not run over any poor, poor people on our way home? sounds just fabulous but you know if we do it wouldn't be that big of a deal i think that doesn't sound that good you should probably consider other people's safety when you go for a drive with alcohol maybe don't do that oh that's one of the best things that we do you take and you drink a couple bottles you do a little dance and then you get in the car and take a nice long drive out into the country it's fabulous then you get to go skinny dipping in the lake Mm-hmm. And all the smoking you could ever want. Oh, oh, I love smoking. I love smoking, too. I look so cool with it. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad to see that looking cool is part of your timeline, too. Mm-hmm. Well, of course. What else is there? You are born and die on your reputation. All right. Well, it looks like we might have to go ahead and call time on that today. Miss Flapper, do you have any final thoughts for these uh, futuristic weirdos? Oh, I feel very terrible for you guys. You take care of yourselves and make sure you lock your doors. Well, thank you, Miss Flapper and Miss Mister Parnell. I appreciate you you talking to us. It, it it it's amazing how well your signal is. What kind of technology are you using to communicate with us, anyway? Oh well, I actually have uh, one of these telegraph machines here that I have plugged into a uh, Ford Model T that has a telephone booth strapped to the to the trunk of it. Wow. It's quite lovely wow. and very ingenious. Sounds mm-hmm. like quite the uh, qu- quite the bit of kit you've got going there. Yeah, you know, you would think it would be pretty fantastic, but it's actually a lot smaller on the inside. Oh, we have we have a what is called a transdimensional portal on this end, and it's what we use to communicate um, connected to what we call computers that lets us connect to each other and through time and space. So, computers, 
What is that? Um, Well, in your time, it would be a person that did a whole lot of math. But in our time, it's a device. Yes, yes. Lots of accountants. Yes, it's sort of like that. So just imagine that we're using accountants to connect to each other. Well, that's so strange. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess they they only have to work 18 hours a day. What do you do for the other eight? Um, so your days have 26 hours. Interesting. That's well, great. Of they do. We have 24-hour days here. The more and more differences we find. Well, we'll have to connect to Mr. Parnell and Ms. Flapper again in the future. And also David the Bob the Fourth at some point in the future. Um, but for now, we're out of time. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes, and good day to you as well. I'm go yeah. take a nap on the Davenport. Oh, it's quite lovely. <laughs> and that signal is gone. So um, that was an experience. Uh, Brent, I didn't hear you. Were, were you able to hear any of that? Oh, no, sorry. I was taking a poop. Oh, okay. Well, um, now that you're back, um, do you have anything you would like to promote to our listeners? Uh, probably, uh, like I said, we'll go ahead and leave a link to the GoFundMe up for a few days. For okay. And, Club. and I'll, I'll post that. I'll, I'll reshare that. We, you know, we're recording on Saturday. I'll reshare that today and I'll re- I'll share that in the description of the show. If anybody wants to reach out to you, how would, what would be the best way to do that? Uh, probably best way would, um, I can give you my link to my YouTube channel, um, to the Vincent Holiday uh, YouTube channel there. Uh, also, if any of your listeners are interested in uh, finding some games online uh, through Roll20 or Foundry right now, um, particularly Starfinder or Pathfinder 2nd Edition, things of that sort, you can email me directly at uh, brent.bowser1337 at gmail.com. I'll be happy to get you in touch with the uh, Paizo organized play groups and I'll just connect you with some people, find some games online until it's safe enough to venture out into the real world again. And Brent has one of the funniest Twitters. Oh, I don't I have... have my Twitter anymore. I got rid of it. Oh, you don't? Yeah. Oh. It, I mean, Twitter is such a awful, horrible place. to. Yeah, do. I understand that. It can be a bit of a cesspool, especially with certain people on it um, that I won't go into. Um so um, that was our show. We we had a plan. We threw it out. We put Brent on the spot, and he soared majestically. That's so, what he does. Mm-hmm. I was like, like you, you had a you had a doubt of armor. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you all for being here. Um, this has been Super Vegan Brian. I was joined by David the. Are we really need to come up the with a better gag for this? <laughs> <laughs> Curse East Africa. Bye. And Brent Goomba Head Bowser. Ladies, give up your silk panties for the parachutes. For the oh, boys. Mr. Parnell has joined us again. So uh, this has been Nerd Podcast Radio. Stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. Stay yeah. awesome.